So this last Wednesday was a pretty sad day around the building. You see, there were these women that came in here and they took down all the Christmas decorations. Put them in boxes, put them in packages, stuck them in the closet. Said, you got to wait till next year. For many, Christmas might be officially over. Though I know it wasn't over for some because I, I heard as they ordered things from Amazon, and Amazon seemed to be really good before Christmas getting stuff there, not everything made it. And so for some, they didn't get things till this past week. And after they opened it, for many, Christmas was officially over. And if you go into Meyer or any of those stores that are still trying to clearance the Christmas items, 90%, you'd say Christmas might be officially over. A couple of weeks ago, we just celebrated the birth of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Matt, as we looked into Luke chapter 2, uh, shared with us when Jesus was 12 years old already. Well, since last week, another 18 years have gone by. <laughs> and Jesus is 30 now. You'd say, yeah, Christmas might be officially over, but here's what I want you to know. Christ is not done. Christmas may be officially over for some, but Christ is not done. That's that next slide. I told you I'll throw something if you don't keep with me. Yeah, Christ is not done. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22 today. Uh, that's our section. Uh, it reminds us that Christ is not done. Well, really, Christ is just starting. Because in these verses, John the Baptist is coming to do the job that he was called to do. So I want to take a look at you with these verses from Luke 3, verses 1 through 22, uh, starting at verses 1 and 2. Uh, did you catch those names that Pastor Matt read? I'm glad he had to read them, not me. What Luke is doing in these first couple of verses, he's historically dating the arrival of John the Baptist for us, and he uses six different ways, six different people. And they are political figures and they're religious figures. So if you want to go back in history and look at some different documents besides the scriptures, you'll find these leaders that reigned in the land by those names You'll find the high priest by name listed also. And what Luke is trying to do for us is establish this is an historical fact. And it's into this historical time that John the Baptist comes. It's time for John to begin. And here's what it says in verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Can I give you a little insight? If you're going to start something, if you're going to begin something in your life, the best way to do it is with the word of God leading and guiding and directing you. And so that's what John does. In verse 3 he says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In order for John to proclaim this, though, means he was telling the people something. If you need a baptism for the repentance of sin, there must be sin in your lives. Now, this wasn't John's idea. He didn't come up with this himself. This is what was said by God long ago through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. He said, prepare the way for the Lord. 
make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked shall be straight. And I love the New International Version here because it helps us to understand what the crooked is. It's the crooked roads shall be made straight. Rough places shall become level ways. Just a little thought. As we look for 10,000 ways to share Jesus in 2020, maybe one of us gets the opportunity to go to Governor Whitner, Whitmer and say, hey, you know those roads that you talked about? If you want them to be straight, you want them to be level? Jesus. Because that's the answer that John has here. How's all this going to happen? It's because of what Jesus is going to do. And I'm only making it ready. Because as he says in verse 6, the end result is this. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's what John was about. He had a lot of things to be done and get ready so that Jesus could be seen. And what, when they saw Jesus, it was going to be the salvation of God for all people, all flesh. So here's how John was going to do it. He was going to bring a message of terror. He was going to scare the out of them. In Luke 3, verse 7, his message of terror first is, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I've always wanted to do that. I really have. As people came into church, I should have done that today. Hey, welcome, you brood of vipers. So how come you're here to flee the wrath to come? What a name. You snakes. And, and when, I, when I think of the vipers being a snake, almost that John's saying, this is like back to the Garden of Eden. And the evil that the serpent brought into the world. And you want to get out of this. That's why you're here. And then in verse 9, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Hack it off and burn it up. That's you. And as he gives them this message of terror, the people are motivated to ask, so what can we do to avoid this message of terror? And John tells them, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You know, it'd be very easy for the emphasis here to be about bearing fruit, doing good things, but you don't just go do good things. You do it because of your repentance. In other words, you realize the wrong, the evil, the sin that's in your life, and you desire that to be gone. And instead of continuing to live in that, that sin and that evil, your life is going to be changed. That, that's the bearing fruits. Or in other words, we could say it this way, don't just say I'm sorry, do something that shows you're sorry. You know, that takes commitment. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It's easy to say, I'm sorry, really. But then to show somebody that you're repentant and you desire to make those relationships right again, takes a lot of work. 
And John knew that, that some of those people he was talking about, he already knew what their answer was going to be even before they said it. And so he looks at him and he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What they were doing was using the favored nation clause. In other words, they're saying, we're children of Abraham. You promised Abraham that from out of you would come the Savior. We're of that line. So it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we think. We're a favored nation. We're a child of Abraham. It's all going to be okay. And it wasn't based on what they believed. And it wasn't based on where their heart was. And it really wasn't based on repentance. It was this ill-conceived idea that they had is that they could get away with anything. But there were those when they heard John's words of terror said, what then shall we do? And so he looked at those who were blessed, the vipers, the tax collectors, the soldiers, and they told them all the same thing. Share with one another. In other words, bear good fruits. If you got two tunics, two coats, share with one who doesn't have it. If you've got extra food, share your food with others. Uh, for the tax collectors, don't collect too much. In other words, serve God where God has placed you to be. To the soldiers, the same thing. Don't extort money. Serve God where God has placed you to be. And what he was trying to help them is to remember what he had said earlier. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If you realize your sin, be changed people. And as they heard these words, these were words from John that they never heard from any other religious leaders before. And then they thought to themselves about, you know, the prophet said there was one who's coming to be the Savior. Could this possibly be the Christ? Could this be the one we're looking for? Could this be the one we've been waiting for? And John knew what they were thinking, so he says in verses 16 and 17, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the, the strap of whose sandals I'm, I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's almost as when John is saying this, he's telling them the same thing about the message of terror. Maybe if you don't understand it, let me paraphrase it for you. This is verses 16 and 17. This is the DCM paraphrase. Those are my initials. Whether it's what John was saying, no, the one who is coming is a billion times greater than I am. And if you thought I was cleaning house and bringing judgment, wait and see what kind of fire he brings on you. And the people are cut to the heart. And this one who they thought might be the Christ, maybe not. He's going to bring judgment on us too. 
There, there's that, that fire, there's a cutting down of the trees and, and the burning up. Is there no hope? Whew, we've got verse 18. There is hope. As John goes on, he says, so with many other exhortations, with many other encouragements, he preached good news to the people. In other words, what God had said long ago, a Christ anointed one, the chosen one, the save the world is coming. And he will change you. He will make you new. That's the message we join together today still to hear and the message we still need because we've gotten the message of terror about who we are because of our sin. And there is good news through Jesus Christ. But you know, not everybody appreciated what John had to say. In Luke 3, 19 and 20, uh, Herod hadn't liked a lot of the things that John had said in these days, but not what he had said before. You see, John had come to Herod and said, you know, what you're doing there is not right. You've taken Herodias as your wife. Herodias was Herod's brother's wife. And he had enticed her away to come be his. And it's kind of an interesting little study about who Herodias is. Herodias is also one of Herod's brother's daughters. So Herod had taken his sister-in-law and his niece to be his wife. And John had said, that's not right. And all that John was saying about the brood of vipers and the, the unquenchable fire and being burned up, Herod had had enough and he had John locked up. And yet John had brought the message that he was foretold to bring to the world in need, making straight ways for the one who would be the savior of the world. And so how did other people respond to John's message? In verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, they'd been cut to the heart. They wanted and they know they needed forgiveness. And it could be given to them and it would be given to them. And then Jesus also had been baptized. And you may scratch your head a little bit and say, wait a minute, this is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy. He was without sin. Why would he be baptized in this way? It's because Jesus was now connecting himself with what God was doing among his creation. He was not above them. He had come as a human being. And so he was joining this God movement among the people. That the time had come and the Savior of the world was upon them. And Christ was there with them. And he would join them. He would live with them. He would die among them. He would pay the price for their sins so that they could be forgiven. And when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from above these words. He said, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The voice was confirming what John had been announcing. This is the one you are looking for. This is the one that the world needed, and he is here. 
Isn't it interesting that God the Father would use the words of prophecy from the Old Testament? In Psalm 2, the Lord said to me, You are my son, I have begotten you. You are my beloved son. In Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. With you I am well pleased. Luke gives us this history so that we might know that God is faithful and he has sent into the world the Savior that it needs, the Savior that you and I need. So for many, Christmas might be officially over, but Christ is not done. And so in these weeks and these months ahead, as we we jump into the rest of Luke, we discover the preaching and the teaching and the promises of a God who loves us, who cares for us, and watches over us. We pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you showered upon us. Thank you for for John the Baptist, who brought that message, even though it meant for him that he would be jailed and ultimately put to death. But he did it because he knew what was right. And he knew what would glorify you and give you all honor and praise. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, who's now come into the world to be among us and to live on our behalf that we might have that that forgiveness that we need. So build in us repentant hearts to receive from him what only he could accomplish. And Lord, may we praise you as we bear good fruits that give you all glory, honor, and praise as we live out our days as your people. In his name we pray, amen.